This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. You can have a seat this morning. Turn to someone next to you say hello. Come on, say it a little louder. Hello. Um, I am not speaking today. My beautiful wife, Allie, is going to be bringing the word today. She's going to be kicking off a new series, so we're going to give it up to her in just a second. But really quick, two announcements. First of all, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Rhonda are out of town on vacation. If you don't know, those are our lead pastors, um, and they're out of town on vacation right now. Um, So can we just um, pray for them? They actually might be watching online, so can we just give it up for them really quick? They hopefully heard that. Anyway, um, we want to pray for them um, and just pray that God's with them in um, all their fun adventures. I know they're going on a cruise this week, um, and hopefully there's no one else on the ship. It's just them other than the workers, so they can get, do whatever they want, eat whatever they want, and, yeah, have fun. Anyway, um, also on top of that, I just prayed for our summer camp is happening this week, say youth summer camp. And if you didn't notice, we're team black, which makes... Allie and I are heart happy because my wardrobe's completely pretty much black um, and white. I just like those are the two colors to go with because they go with everything. Anyway, so pray, pray for us this week. Um, I seriously ask you to write that down. Say so pray for summer camp. We go, we leave tonight and we're going all the way through Thursday morning. And can you just pray every night? I'm not sure what time the sessions are. Probably seven o'clock if I had to guess. Can you just pray for anointed moments that God would speak and God would move? Um, I don't know about you, but when I look at things like the Uvalde shooting and these horrible situations that are happening, you do realize like like the only way we're going to change our nation is by starting with those people that have not been impacted by Jesus and raising them up in the right way. That's how we start change. And so this is the opportunity right now to impact those students' lives and to see a different country. If we want to see change, we have to believe in, in creating change. And that's by raising up people in the way they should go. And so um, I'm excited for this week. So anyway, with that being said, um, would you get up for Pastor Allie as she comes to speak? And then also, really quickly, stand stand to your feet really quick. Turn to someone next to you. Give them a fist bump as she comes. Thank you. I feel like a lot of you did not stand in that moment, but it's fine. You can fist bump spiritually, right? That's a thing. But hello, good morning. Um, I'm very excited to be speaking today. Um, we are going to be kicking off a series called Parables. Um, a, very, a lot of you are going to be very familiar, familiar with that word and with those stories. But I'm going to caveat with typically um, our lead pastor, Pastor Kevin, um, and my husband, Pastor Trenton, are the ones that kick off series. Okay, And there's a reason for that. Because the first message in the, in the series like lays the groundwork for the rest of the series. You know, for all of the rest of us pastors who are speaking to like, bank our messages on. And um, so I have that responsibility. So if there's anything wrong with the message or you're confused, like you can see Pastor Trenton. All right. Um, Don't bother Pastor Kevin. He's on vacation. But Pastor Trenton, he's here for you if you have questions. All right. So just putting that out there. So parables, uh, there is so much to be said about parables um, that Jesus told. And whether you're looking at them as a whole or just at one individually, I mean, I'm sure many of you, once I even said the word parable, you instantly were able to recall the different stories you've heard growing up as a child. Um, Maybe you even read one this past week. And maybe for some of you, you thought to yourself, parables, uh, what more could we possibly learn from the stories that Jesus told? And uh, well, you and I, what we have to do today and throughout this series is to let go of any preconceived ideas that we already have about the parables. 
Because as someone who grew up hearing these stories, there's a familiarity that can desensitize us. And that causes a numbness in each of us to be created towards a story that we've heard over and over and over again. And my hope is that you'd allow the Holy Spirit to reveal something new to you that draws you closer to Jesus today and over the course of the next seven weeks as we um, uncover and, and, and go through the various parables that Jesus told. And so today I just want to ask an introductory question to my message. Um, and don't answer it for yourself yet. I want to set it up and then I'll ask it again. But the question is this. I wonder how many of you at one point in your life were actually closer to God than you are today in this moment right now? Again, don't answer it yet. I want to kind of unpack it for a moment. Was there ever a time in your life, maybe years ago, uh, when you were more passionate about God's word? You would faithfully study his word, but almost daily there'd be this like, oh my goodness, I didn't see that before. And that spoke to me in a powerful way. And I was transformed by the word in this way. I'm excited, uh, leaning in, expecting to hear something from God. Uh, I'm going to get to church early. I'm sitting in the front row. I'm ready for worship. Uh, you believe all lives would be changed if they just got to church with you. Uh, you were on fire to pray, faithfully seeking God as you were praying. Uh, God would answer those prayers and you'd be like, wow, he did it and he's doing that. And I believe he's going to do this. And how many of you would say honestly that maybe you had a passion like that, but somehow over time life kind of just happened and your passion that you used to have kind of just cooled. And you could say that you were more full of passion for God then than you are right now. And as you reflect on that question, I'm reminded of a story that happened in a couple's marriage. And there was a couple uh, that would always sit side by side in the truck. And uh, the husband would drive the truck and the wife would um, always sit right beside him. And, and he'd put his arm around her and they'd snuggle while he drove the truck. And well, 20 years later or so, the wife was actually sitting in the passenger seat. And, and she looks at her husband and she goes, what happened to us? And uh, you remember back when, when we would always used to cuddle when we drove, and what happened to us? And, and the husband smiled playfully and said, well, sweetheart, I, uh, I wasn't the one who moved. And um, if there was a time in your life where you were closer to the presence and the person of God than you are today, may I suggest that God is not the one who moved. And I believe God is going to use this series in a lot of people's lives specifically to draw those of you who have drifted away closer to him. And more importantly, for those of you who don't, don't know God personally, I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to use these parables to invite you into the presence of God. Because there is a longing inside of you that only Christ can fill. And the goal of this series is to recognize that Jesus could have used any avenue to communicate the truth of his kingdom, but he chose parables. And our desire is to understand what his parables meant and to align the action and trajectory of our lives with their meanings and truths. And today, as we take time to look at why parables matter, we're going, we'll be going directly to the source in what some would call the chief among Jesus' parables. And it's actually the parable that he told about why he tells parables. And as we do this, I'm confident the Holy Spirit will speak to those of you who are ready and willing to listen. So what is a parable? Well, the word comes from two Greek roots, para, uh, beside, and bala, which is to throw. So quite literally, it means to place alongside, and it suggests a comparison between two things that are alike in some way. 
And so it's, uh, it's a story laid alongside a truth to demonstrate, demonstrate their parallel realities. It's English deriv derivative. It's a parabola. Um, do you remember those from school? Some of you are like, don't bring up school. We're, we're summer break right now. Or you're like, I'm so far from school, I don't even want to talk about it. Um, I feel that. But it's two curved lines that mirror each other perfectly. That's a parabola. And essentially, that's a parable. So to put it um, as simply as possible, a parable uh, is an illustrative figure of speech made for comparison's sake and more specifically for the purpose of teaching a spiritual lesson. And since we're going to be spending the next seven weeks looking at some of the various parables that Jesus told during his ministry, we should definitely take time to establish our understanding of the why behind them. Why did Jesus use parables, and why should you care? Well, there's a contemporary trend that wants to give you this answer. Jesus used parables because he realized that after two years uh, that he wasn't getting through with his current methods. And his descriptions and explanations of the Old Testament and teaching truth straightforward in a clear and concise uh, way was not connecting with his audience. So Jesus then makes this huge shift in his ministry and becomes a storyteller. However, trying to pit Jesus' different ways of teaching against each other as if they're mutually exclusive is dangerously misleading. Why? Because what we can see all through Jesus' ministry that wherever there's a story, there's also something to be learned. And in that something to be learned, there can be descriptions and explanations of the Old Testament. There's truth straightforward in a clear and concise way. There's doctrine, which is just a fancy word for like a set of beliefs or instruction from an authoritative figure um, on how we're to live. And the list can continue. So commentators who say that Jesus used parables simply because he recognized that his old way of teaching didn't work, I mean, I don't believe it. I mean, Jesus was known, um, as, known for being a teacher, and more specifically, he was known as a really skilled communicator uh, prior, to, prior to when he spoke in parables. And so think about it. How many other ancient teachers from 2,000 years ago do you know of that were still quoting their lines today? The list is extremely small, and Jesus is at the top. And his stories have so much interest, and they give depth and, and, and insight um, to his teaching, and he was a very memorable teacher, and foremost among his teaching style were parables. And for Jesus, they were not helpful little illustrations to make everything clear. They actually seemed to function in the opposite way. And they were puzzling and inviting stories that actually force you and I uh, of thinking and listening as we consider Jesus. So where does that leave us? Are parables just open riddles to be interpreted uh, any way the hearer would choose? Are they simple stories used to make things more clear than Jesus' previous teachings? Do they have a true meaning? Can I just believe whatever I want to believe about these stories as long as they make me feel good about the way I'm currently living my life? Why did Jesus use parables and why should you care? And so the title of my message today is The Purpose of Parables. And so if you want to turn in your Bibles uh, with me to Matthew chapter 13, that's where we're going to be starting, uh, verse 1, that same day. Now let me stop there for a moment because these first few words are very important. This is a day like no other day. This is a day in which a dramatic shift takes place in the way that Jesus teaches. It also happens to be a Sabbath day towards the end of Jesus' second year in ministry. Um, and at this time, he would have been in Galilee, and we're about a year away from his death. And on this day, there's a turning point in the entire ministry of Jesus. So verse 1, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables. So up to this day, he did not speak in parables. 
He had previously used illustrations, for example, um, like in Sermon on the Mount, which is one of his most famous sermons. Um, There's illustrations like the one um, about the flood and the houses built on the sand and the rock, but there are no parables. From here on, however, whenever Jesus teaches in public, he only teaches in the form of parables. Up to this time, he's basically drawn on, um, on the Old Testament and given discourses or explanations based on Old Testament scripture. Um, he's expounded on doctrines and theological truths in a very clear and concise way. But now, all of a sudden, he becomes a storyteller. And this all gets launched on a Sabbath day. And now you need to understand a little bit about the Sabbath. God's law for the Sabbath um, was very simple, very clear. It was don't work period. That's it. There was nothing more. God's law said, rest, don't work, take a day off. That's the Sabbath. And it was intended according to Isaiah 58, 13, to be a day of delight and a day of rest. And some of us may be able to recall the horrors of Israel um, and their history. After they were given the law of God, they virtually disobeyed it for centuries. um, And they didn't rest. They didn't delight in God. And they didn't really use it as a day of worship. Um, They Uh, broke the Sabbath all the time. And for what? They did it for money, for idolatry, for apathy, and for indifference, and for so many other reasons. Well, eventually the rabbis um, in that time started uh, becoming concerned about the violations of the Sabbath, so they wanted to protect it. And in order to kind of uh, recover and insulate the Sabbath against the violations, they covered it with endless rules. So they created a massive complex of Sabbath laws. And by Jesus' time, the Sabbath is the most dreaded day of the week. Um, Every way you could cut it, it is a total pain. The the pendulum had swung from complete abandonment of the Sabbath to the establishment of a legalistic system. And if you're familiar with the ministry of Jesus, you can kind of tell that he he loved to violate their, their version of the Sabbath. And if you, let's take a look at Matthew 12 to see the events that led up to Jesus speaking in parables. So we're just jumping back a chapter um, right before we get to this part of the story in verse 13. But everything he and his disciples are doing, they shouldn't be doing because it violates um, the rules of the Sabbath. They're walking through the grain fields and the disciples, they get hungry. So they pick some grain, they eat it. And in verse two, the Pharisees see this and they say, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And not by any Old Testament law, not by any divine power, purely and simply because of the traditions um, that they had developed to replace the law of God. And so to show how ridiculous our Sabbath rules have become, Jesus responds by telling about um, an incident in the Old Testament when David's men actually ate the showbread out of the temple on the Sabbath. And to add to it, in verse 8, Jesus says, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. So essentially, don't tell Jesus what to do on the Sabbath, because, you know, Jesus is over the Sabbath. So, so from here, uh, Jesus then goes into their synagogue, and the man with the shriveled hand is there, um, and they, the, the religious leaders, they question Jesus, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Which, of course, in their system, it wasn't, so they were just looking for another uh, way or reason to accuse Jesus, and so Jesus responds to them. Verse 11, he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it up? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Verse 13, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out, and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So same day, verse 22, then they brought him a demon-possessed man who was blind and mute, and Jesus healed him so that he could both talk and see. And all the people were astonished and said, could this be the son of David? Verse 24, but when the Pharisees heard this, they said, it is only by Beelzebel, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. So we're two years into Jesus' ministry, and we have a final conclusion from the religious leaders. Jesus does what he does by the powers of hell. 
He's inspired by Satan himself. That's their conclusion. And so verse 31, Jesus' response says this, And so I tell you, every kind of sin and slander can be forgiven, but blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. And so here we have Jesus saying, when you blaspheme, when you speak against the Holy Spirit, saying that which he has done through the Son of God is from hell, you are essentially beyond the point of salvation. You can no longer be forgiven. And, and you can speak a word against the Son of Man. You can speak a word against him and his humanness, his life, and all that can be forgiven. But if your conclusion is that what the Holy Spirit has done is, is from hell and through hell and through Satan, you will not be forgiven. And then uh, we go down to verse 37, and Jesus says, for by your words you will be acquitted, so forgive given, set free, and by your words you will be condemned. So the words that they had just spoken, they, they had essentially sentenced themselves to condemnation, so to hell. And so then Jesus gets into a boat with his disciples. He goes across the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. He um, casts out demons from a man, and they scatter into a herd of pigs. They go diving into the Sea of Galilee and drown. And then we get to Matthew 13, 1, that same day. So this is all happening on one day, one massive expression of divine power and a conclusion by religious leaders that Jesus does what he does by the powers of hell. So let's go back to our original question. Why did Jesus use parables? Was it because he wasn't getting through and things weren't clear? He must have said, wow, I spent two years trying to figure this deal out and I got it now. And he's thinking he needs to make these hard, deep truths clear, easy, simple, simple, accessible, flexible. Is that really what's going on? Well, let's pick up back in our text, Matthew 13, 3. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, and when it did, uh, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they uh, withered because they had no root. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And so in Matthew 12, we see that a whole bunch of people are so angry with Jesus and what he's claiming about himself and what he's doing that they're ready to kill him. And then there's people who have had their lives changed by Jesus, and they love him, and they, want, they, want, they will follow him wherever he goes. And there's people who are indifferent to him. They think he's irrelevant or that he's a curiosity. And then in this moment, Jesus has the whole crowd. And this is a great opportunity to just be clear and to the point, and what does Jesus do? Um, there's, a, there's a farmer. That, that's, what, that's what he says. And so number 10, the, verse 10, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak in parables? And that's the question we're seeking to answer today. I didn't even have to invent the question. It came straight from um, the Bible. Um, and so why are we doing this? Why are you doing this? Why do you speak in parables? And listen to Jesus' answer, verse 11. He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. So what is he saying? He say, Jesus speaks in parables so they cannot understand Verse 12, whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they uh, do not hear or understand. So Jesus uses the same form of communication to do lots of different things, and it's, and it's really quite brilliant. And specifically what he's aiming at here, for people who already think he's stupid and have rejected him, the parables will only convince them more that he's stupid and cause them to hold to their rejection. But for people who are open-minded 
and are willing to hear a voice other than their own voice in their life. These will be an invitation to something deeper and something more. And this is the function of parables. For those who have, the parables give more. They invite you in. You begin to ponder and think. But for those who do not have, for those who have already rejected Jesus, well, even what they do have will be taken. And the parables will only reinforce what they already think, which is just that Jesus is irrelevant or stupid at best or dangerous at worst. And then Jesus says, listen, this is nothing new. Israel's prophets have been doing this all along. And so this is kind of a fulfillment of the very same scenario back in Isaiah 6. And if you're unfamiliar with what I'm referring to, here's what's happening. Isaiah chapter 5, judgment is coming to Israel and severe judgment. And the Babylonian captivity is about to happen and masses um, and hordes of Chaldeans from Babylon are coming. And so they come and they destroy the city. They destroy the temple. They massacre the people and they, and they haul off who's left into captivity. And now Isaiah uh, knows that judgment is coming, and he has a vision from God, and he feels inadequate. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people who are unclean. And an angel takes a tongue in his vision and cleanses his tongue, and he's purified. And the Lord says, who will go? Whom shall I send to speak to the people? Um, and the, Isaiah says, here I am, Lord, send me. We, we, that's a pretty quotable scripture verse right there. And so the Lord says, okay, you're the man. You go and you speak, pe- speak to these people. And that is where we are right now, what Jesus is referring to and what he's quoting um, in Matthew 13, 14, when he says, in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. And this is the quote that he's referring to back in Isaiah from the Old Testament. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And this is serious. The stakes are high. And right now, Jesus is in challenge mode, not comfort mode. And in verse 18, Jesus is talking to his disciples and some close followers. And he explains what the parable of the sower means. So he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their their heart. This is the seed along the path. Verse 20, the seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it fruitful. Verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And this is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And so why did Jesus use parables and why should you care? Well, number one, Jesus used parables to illustrate spiritual truth to those who could hear. And the parables Jesus told in the first century serve the same purpose today in the 21st century. If it seems that Jesus' stories, uh, that the stories Jesus told are capable of endless interpretations and they come across like they're devoid of any discernible objective meaning, that's because truly understanding them requires faith and diligence and careful um, exegesis and a genuine desire to, to hear what Jesus was saying. In other words, faith, prompted and enabled by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, is the necro- necessary prerequisite to understanding parables. 
The stories, uh, these stories do have objective meaning. They have a divinely intended and therefore correct interpretation. And Jesus himself explained some of the parables in details. Um, and the explanations he gives are a model for us to follow as we learn from the rest of his stories. And so in the parable that Jesus told about why he tells parables, he provided an explanation of the parable, and we just read it. And it provides us with an important template for how we should read and interpret Jesus' storytelling. The seed represents God's word, specifically in this case, the gospel message. And the soil represents the human heart, our hearts. And so the parable is about hearts in assorted stages of preparedness and how they respond to the gospel. And so even when we don't have a recorded explanation, we understand the parables. Not because we've been given some mystical insight, but because, listen carefully, all parables are about the gospel. They're all about salvation. And if you understand salvation in its fullness and its richness, you will understand the parables. And for the disciples, they didn't have the cross, the resurrection, and the teaching of the apostles that we have in the New Testament. So they were asking, what does this mean? And they were seeking and all parables are gospel illustrations. All parables express the theology of salvation. And parables are not sentimental stories. Uh, they're most certainly not dreamy fantasies told to make you feel good. Um, they're not vague blank slates for people to fill in the blank. Um, they're an invitation to something more, something deeper. But we must come to the parables with faith, willing to hear not as skeptics with hearts hardened against truth. And although Jesus was presenting the parables um, in a way that might obscure the truth from unbelieving ears, no one was excluded against his or her own will. Anyone who truly wanted to understand could have asked. Jesus urged every person in earshot to seek understanding. Matthew 13, 9, parable of the sower, whoever has ears, let them hear. Matthew 13, 43, parable of the weeds, uh, whoever has ears, let them hear. Luke 8, 18, parable of the lamp on the stand, therefore consider carefully how you listen. The listener's response would separate those who believed from those who didn't. And those who believed would seek the truth and find it. And for those who did not believe, the parables would only further confirm their rejection of Jesus. And hasn't this kind of been his message all along? I'm just going to skip back to chapter 4 of the story of Matthew, where Matthew summarized for us what Jesus talked about everywhere he went. Matthew 4:17. Matthew says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. So Jesus' core announcement was that something has come here. And what is that something? something? The kingdom. The kingdom of heaven. And just a few sentences later, in verse 23, Matthew summarizes what Jesus uh, talked about on any given day. So he, being Matthew, says, uh, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So at the core of Jesus' message all the time was that the arrival of God's kingdom, of God's reign, and God's rule was happening here and now through him. And this is really important because this is going to help us recalibrate what we think these parables are about. And what the parables of Jesus are not is little self-contained moral tales that each have a little takeaway about be a good person and, and don't lie, always tell the truth, be nice, be generous. That's not what's happening in these parables. All the dozens of parables that Jesus told revolve around the core thing that Jesus was all about and all, that his, and all his other teachings were about, and it's that something is happening uh, with his arrival. And it's the fact that God's reign and rule over this world has come crashing into earth. Heaven is invading earth in the person of Jesus. So while he might have changed his method, he certainly didn't change his message. 
And the moment you become comfortable or complacent in your relationship with the Jesus is the moment you stop listening to the message. And so do you have ears? Because you should listen. So why did Jesus use parables? He used parables to illustrate spiritual truth to those who could hear. And why should you care? Number two, you should care because the condition of your heart determines your response. So in other words, whether or not you can hear is based on where your heart is at, the condition of your heart. You see, the lesson Jesus is teaching in the parable of the sower is all about the soil. The soil represents our hearts, and how do we know this? Well, let's go back to Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower. And as we do, think about which soil represents your heart's response today. Matthew 13, 18, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. And this could be some of you today. God's word, the seed will be sown towards you. And when you hear it, you're like, ah, it doesn't really make sense. Why wasn't Pastor Allie funny today? She definitely could have thrown some jokes in there. I don't particularly like her shoes. And, you know, the worship was just really loud. And uh, you'll go, go away completely unchanged and exactly how you came in. Those of you online, you'll click off as if nothing has happened at all. And you hear the word, and yet nothing happens in your heart, and you go along your way. Verse 20, the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they only last a short time. So when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Now, this too could be some of you today. You're going to hear this with joy. Oh, yes, you're right. I want to be closer to God again. So you're like this couple in the story I told earlier, and you're the wife, and you're scooting back towards the husband uh, who is driving the truck, and so you're scooting back over toward God, and you might be saying, I feel it. I'm going to join a small group, and I'm going to start serving, and I'm going to start reading my Bible daily, and for a short while, you will, and then um, something will happen, and, and you're going to get a bad report, or uh, someone's going to make fun of you. Oh, you're religious? You, you follow that Jesus guy? And uh, then you're slowly going to start to fall away. Verse 22, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. And guess what? This too will be some of you here today. And these aren't bad people. These are really good people. You might be sitting next to one of them, or you might be one of them, and this is someone who really wants to get it right. But what happens? We get preoccupied with life. You know, I'm a student and I've got to work really hard and I've got to study and, and, I, and I can't go into debt. Or, you know, I just got married and we're newlyweds and we're trying to get this thing figured out. You know, she squeezes the toothpaste in the wrong spot and he puts bread in the refrigerator. Like, who does that? And, you know, now we own a house and we have a kid and we have a mortgage to pay and credit card bills and then two kids and got a minivan. And, and you don't mean to, but life just kind of happens to you. And as life kind of happens, you get busy and the worries and circumstances of this life, they choke out the word of God. In verse 23, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And this is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. And I would like to say today that there are so many of you here right now in this room and online, and your heart is good soil, that God has been working on you and preparing you for this moment. You see, this parable is not about enhancing the quality of the seed or improving the skill of the sower, nor is it about finding a more elegant use for the farm. It's all about the condition of the soil. 
So we must pay attention to the condition of our hearts because the condition of your heart determines your response. And when his word lands in your heart and your heart is good soil, you will see a divine harvest. Now, when Jesus would have said this, there are people that would have been like, what? No way. Because Jesus lived in an agrarian economy where essentially everyone would know, okay, if you get an eightfold or a tenfold return, you're like, super excited on the seed that you planted, but 30-fold, unheard of, 60-fold, miracle, 100-fold, only God could bring that about. But when the word of God is planted in a heart and it lands in good soil, the fruit that God can bring can go beyond your ability to imagine and comprehend or even dream possible, and that is what happens when the seed falls on good soil. And so when the condition of your heart is good soil, you don't sell out to the things of this world. You aren't held in bondage to temptation. You aren't easily dragged down by the wrong people. You don't neglect God who sent his son for you. You are a light that drives people towards God and closer to him. You put him first. You love his church. You embrace his word. You're filled with his spirit. You declare, I want to be led every day, step by step, and I want my life to glorify the one who gave his life for me. A heart that models good soil allows for God, uh, for you to hear God's word and respond to it in a way that pleases him. And in doing so, you become one of God's greatest resources. Thus, the great commission is given to you, Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Welcome to the parables of Jesus. Do we have ears? The Jesus who is speaking to us here, he knows that we're terrible listeners and he knows that we're bad at being humans and he came pronouncing God's kingdom and he lived as the kind of human that you and I are made to be but every day fail to be and he died for the consequences of our failures and he overcame them with his love and life and his resurrection from the grave and by his grace and by his spirit, you and I are invited every single day to, to open our ears and to listen and to be invited to something so powerful. It's the new creation that Jesus wants to birth right here in our world and wants to birth inside of you and inside of me. And so how shall you, how will you listen? In Revelation 2, Jesus is speaking to the church in Ephesus, some very strong words, and he says in verse 4, you have forsaken the love you had at first. So in other words, there was a time when you were more passionate about the love that God had for you, and you've forsaken that love. And then Jesus says this, verse 5, consider how how far you've fallen. That's maybe what some of you need to do right now. Consider where you were, consider uh, where you are, consider how far you've drifted away. And then Jesus said very simply, repent and do the things you did at first. And what does repent mean? Repent simply means this. Re means to turn and pent means to go back to that which is highest. So wherever I'm going, I'm going to turn back. I'm going to head back to that which is highest. I'm going to head back towards God and I'm going to do what I did at first. And I don't know what that means for you because I don't know what you did at first. Maybe you were passionate about God and his word. Maybe uh, you shared your faith everywhere you went all the time. Maybe you prayed a lot every single day and fasting was normal for you. Maybe church wasn't an option for you and it was who you were and it's where you belong and it wasn't a religious ritual. It wasn't what I have to do or I've got to do and well, I better or they're looking. 
No, it was a response to the grace of Jesus who saved a person who was lost, dead, and hurting. And your only response was, Jesus, take all of my life. Everything I have, I give it to you. And I want to know you, and I want to pursue you, and I want to put you first, nothing less in my life, but serving you with all of my heart. So what do you do if you recognize you're not where you should be? You repent, and you do the things you did at first. And you recognize that that God never moved. And the grace of God is there to take us back. And in a moment, we can be intimate with him again, and our hearts are ready to receive all that he has for us. And what he has for us can transform all of our lives. But our hearts have to be good soil so that when his word is sown towards us over and over again, we are ready to hear it and receive it. And so, God, I just pray right now over the hearts of your people, mine included, God. Those online, every person in this room, God, I pray over our hearts that they would be good soil, God. I pray that the Holy Spirit would just begin to work on each of us right now, God, that we would begin to, to return to the passion that we once had, God. We return to the things we did at first, God. I pray that you would speak to each of us individually. You would meet us right where we're at, God. I pray that we would begin to take steps towards you today to return to the love that we had for you um, and the passion that we had for you, God. And if we feel like we're already there, if we feel like we are on fire for you right now in this moment, God, I pray that you would give me and us the strength to keep going and not lose that passion, to not get distracted by the things of this world, but to be um, fully set on you in this moment, God. I pray that we would be a people that would just have eyes for only you. God, I pray that as your word has been sown today, God, as your word has been thrown out towards people's hearts, God, I pray that it would land in good soil in this moment, Lord, and that you you would do what what you do best, God, and that is um, reap a divine harvest, Lord. I pray for peace and comfort, God. I pray that you would meet people in the situations that they're that they're in, God, and I pray that you would just just meet them um, with whatever with whatever they need in this moment, God. I pray that we would be encouraged by the stories that you tell, God, and I pray that we would be challenged by your word each and every single day to live a life that glorifies you, to live a life purposed in your calling, God. Thank you for for giving us your word. Thank you for um, giving us your Holy Spirit. God, thank you for making today so powerful. From the moment we stepped into this building to the moment we're going to step out, God, your Holy Spirit is with us everywhere we go. And it's such a gift. Thank you for this life and thank you for each person that's a part of this family, Lord. I pray protection on them as they go about their week, God. I pray for our students at summer camp. I pray over our lead pastors, just rest and rejuvenation, God. I pray just for every beating heart, God. I pray that we would be willing to have ears that hear and a heart that is willing to do the work to have good soil. Lord, be with us as we go from this place. And everyone said, amen, amen. Um, I just hope that you guys have an incredible week. And uh, if you need prayer, the prayer team will be up here at the front for you. Um, And God bless you as you go. And we'll see you in the weeks to come. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope 
is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.